How are we all doing today? Welcome, welcome to day one of Web Summit here in unusually foggy Lisbon. I'm sure we're all happy to be outside that, or inside away from that weather. You are joining the Q&A stage here, as you can tell. This is our only stage where we allow you, the audience, to ask your questions directly to our speakers. So, our first one today needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. It is David Meltzer, who is a legendary sports executive who formerly served as CEO of the well-known Lee Steinberg Sports Agency, which some of you may know as the inspiration for Jerry Maguire. He's also a world-renowned business coach and winner of the Variety Magazine Sports Humanitarian uh, of the Year Award, as well as the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. So, without further ado, please put your hands together for David Meltzer and ask him to show me the money. How's it going? Hello. So, David, let's kick things off. For anyone who doesn't know you in the audience, you pre you, uh, why don't you just give us a quick summary about who you are, your successes, and what you've done to get here on stage today. You know, a lot of people talk about their successes. I, as I got older, more focused on my failures. Um, but I started in technology, ended up Samsung's uh, CEO of their cell division. Uh, they called them convergence devices in 1999. And then I got hired to run the most notable sports agency in the world. Met one of the Hall of Famers, Warren Moon, and we started a sports marketing company globally uh, to bring the biggest names, billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, to the biggest sporting events, like the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, the Breeders' Cup, for charity. And that's where uh, I've been blessed to be uh, recognized for giving money back to our communities by using, I, I have been called a philanthropist. I think I'm a philanthropimp. I pimp out all the famous people to raise money for charity. Uh, and that's my most notable. Now we use media instead of events. So with COVID, uh, we switched to TV shows, movies, uh, and things like that to bring those same people. So I have a huge podcast. I have Three different TV shows, Elevator Pitch, Two Minute Drill, uh, and Office Hours. And those are in seasons five, five, and eight. And so, but all and everything we do is for charity, to elevate the world. My mission in life is to empower over a billion people to be happy. Brilliant. Uh, Philanthropimp. I don't Philanthropimp, think I've, I've heard yeah. of that one before. I should have used that in the <laughs> intro. Look forward to seeing that one on, uh, on LinkedIn going forward. Um, what specific habits do you think you've built up over the years that have contributed to your success that other people in the, in the crowd here today might be able to pick up themselves? Yeah, you know, habits are everything. And the problem with habits or behaviors is that we expect an instant result, but humans aren't capable of being aware of the results of habits. So if you have good behavior, the instant result of good behavior is good progress. Unfortunately, we're not aware of it. So most people on earth quit good behavior because they're not capable of seeing the instant result which is good progress. Unfortunately, the opposite's true as well. Bad behavior has an instant result called bad progress. Unfortunately, we're not capable of seeing that, so we don't quit the bad behaviors as well. So I created what I call a habit machine is my number one habit. It consists of five different daily activities, daily practices that allow me to have the faith that what I'm doing when I'm doing good uh, results in good outcomes. One other component of this is faith. When we can't see or we're not capable of seeing results, 
we have to have faith that the results that we are seeing are protecting and promoting us, not punishing us. So even in my lifetime, I talk about failures. In 2008, I lost over $100 million, went bankrupt. At that time, in no way could I conceive how that was protecting and promoting me. I thought I was one of the most punished human beings in the world. I lived in blame, shame, and justification. My basement had a basement. <laughs> 15 years later, I make more money than I ever have. I help more people than I ever imagined. And I'm having more fun. Uh, although at that time when it happened, I had no idea that that incident, that occurrence saved my life, saved my marriage, and led me in the right trajectory with the right behaviors that create the right outcomes. Mm. You've talked about this before when you've spoken about your journey through bankruptcy, about the power of surrender. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, one of the hardest things for humans to understand is surrender. Uh, I call myself a ferocious Buddha. And the reason I do that is I'm very ferocious during my day. I have huge, huge uh, goals. Empower over a billion people to be happy. Change the world. But I surrender to the outcomes every day with that faith that I was talking about. So I'm very focused on today by using the infinite past to give it the right meaning, to get to an infinite future. And although the outcomes every day that I receive are not what I planned, or sometimes they're not distinguishable of being positive outcomes, I have faith, like I said, the surrender, that there's something bigger than me, an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source that loves me, protects me, promotes me more than my mom. So when a deal doesn't go through, when a plane gets delayed, when somebody manipulates, steals, cheats me, instead of this idea of blame, shame, justification, and punishment, mm. I see promotion. And I just have faith that I'm not capable of understanding how something this awful could be this good. Okay. I'm not sure which I prefer more, uh, philanthropist or ferocious Buddha. Thank so, you. So, okay, wonderful. Um, so I think we might open up questions to the crowd. We have a couple of volunteers with roaming mics. So our first one there, yourself. If you want to give us your name and then your question, please. Sorry, I'm not sure. Is that mic working? Is it hot? Alrighty. Hello, hello. Yeah, it's working. Yeah, We're all good. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Dennis. I'm economic student, and uh, I want to hear advice from you. Uh, like, uh, I'm interested in marketing. Currently, I do lead generation. I had my own startup, but it fails. It's like it's failure. And like, if you could uh, move to my body now. What advice you would give me? I'm 18 years old, yeah. and what what I should avoid? Yeah. So the best advice I can give to every 18 year old, 28, 38, 48, 58, 68, 78. If there's any 98 year olds, it's real simple advice. People ask me, "How the hell did you lose all that money?" One reason: I didn't ask for help especially if you're 18 years old, you have unbelievable access to people who sit in a situation that you want to be in. When I was your age, 
I didn't have the access to the biggest minds, the biggest business people, the biggest philanthropists, the business sports people. You have access to all these people that sit in a situation that you want to be in. And the fastest way to get there is to ask them for directions. But not only will they give you directions to where you want to be, they also will give you the Sherpas. They have an amazing network of relationship capital that even if they don't have the time or the knowledge or the skill or the desire to help you, it's so easy for them to give you somebody else that can help you as well. And so it's amazing how many times, I'm 55 years old, I know I look 65, but I'm 55. I ask for help more than ever. And it has helped me to get to where I am. And I'm constantly looking to see not only <clears throat> would it help you if, but do you know anyone that can help me? My prayer every morning is simply to put 10 people in front of me that I can help and to put 10 people in my life that can help me as well. I find that more people find it easy to give help, even in a situation when you're in a startup and providing all of this energy to build something that takes a lot of time. If you saw, I love Messi, he put out a, a meme. It said, I'm an overnight success. It only took me 17 years and 155 days, which is exactly 17 and a half years or so. Why is that? Because it took him 10 years to get to 25% of the player that he is today. And most people, all of his friends, quit before those 10 years because they too only got to 25% of their potential. Then it took another five years for Messi to get to 50% of the player that he was. And most of the 1% that hung on, 99% of those people quit as well. And it's that last two and a half years where you get to 100% your potential according to your skills, knowledge, and desire. So by asking for help, we can accelerate that 17 and a half year curve to get to where you want to be. The fastest way to get there is to ask for help. Is it true that uh, people who already succeed want to help somebody, yeah? More than you would imagine. I think the biggest misnomer is that people that are successful are the hardest people to get help from. Not true at all. I think that the people that are most successful have asked for so much help and have gotten so much help, they're looking to see how they can give it back and pay it forward and elevate others to elevate themselves. I know all the billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs that are on my TV shows and podcasts and are my friends, they're asking me, hey, how can I help? And I think we cheat ourselves so much by being afraid to ask. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Next up, yeah, you have the mic there. Yeah, hello. Thank Hi. you. Hi, thank you for the ability, David. It was a really nice introduction. Actually, I was 18 years old. I'm, I'm studying data science. My name is Nazari. And the question is, well, I'm 18 years old and I don't have as much experience as all the people do. How do I pose myself in front of the billionaires that you're talking about? How should I say that I'm worth it? Well, first of all, tell yourself, I am. Uh, the first thing that I see is so many people are trying to be more. There's a huge energy crisis with our young people today. And here's the energy crisis. I am versus this is what I want people to think I am. And when you're 55 years old, I know you're 18. So you could tell me whatever you want me to think you are but I know you're 18. 
and we lose so much energy in between, especially on social media, trying to get people to think I am, standing in front of cars you don't own, houses you don't own, giving advice that you don't know, instead of the arrogant ignorance of portraying that you know what you don't know, I promise you, people that are experienced, they know that you don't know what you don't know because they don't know what they don't know. And so my biggest piece of advice is don't lie to yourself. You don't need to be more, more happy, more healthy, more wealthy, more worthy at 18 years old. It should be, I am happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. What am I doing to interfere with it by lying to myself and trying to be something I'm not, worrying about what other people think, worrying about what's missing, worrying about what you don't have, instead of realizing this is what I am and I need help to get to where I want to be or better. Thank you, David. What's that sound? Thank you very much. Maybe a question from over this side, yourself. <laughs> Hi, good morning. My name is Louisa. Thank you for the invitation, David. I'm loving it. Thank you. So I'm 50, turning 50, about to turn 50. I wish I, I looked that good at 50. <laughs> <laughs> and decided as you decided to do something uh, for other people. So I kind of funneled everything and everything that I am at 50 towards an initiative, Preventure Hub, which supports women and helps women. So, at the different stages of entrepreneurship, uh, career, etc. So I have a more of a business um, uh, question. Uh, when one starts a social business, especially if it's for a cause, there's always the moral case versus the business case. The two routes, and since you're a philanthropist, right? So I'm, I'm assuming that you have experience with pitching towards causes and what do you think it works best or, what, or is it a mix? Is it the moral case or the business case? Because as we know, it's all about metrics. It's all about the data research. As an athlete, it's the same. It's all about numbers, KPIs, results. What do you think works best? That's why, number one, I have two TV shows that are pitch shows, and we have actual episodes specifically for philanthropy, charity, and causes. So eight seasons of Elevator Pitch uh, with Entrepreneur Magazine. I have two-minute drill on Apple TV, and so I have a lot of experience. So there's five things in pitching uh, a harmonious value system, and there is a harmony that exists between this cause and versus money, business. So here's number one, credibility. Especially when we're dealing with causes, you have to know that the number one thing I'm talking to is the credibility of me and the organization. Because the skepticism is already elevated when you're pitching, it's especially elevated when we're doing it for a good purpose or a cause. So we wanna make sure that we've gone through our pitch with a fine tooth comb for credibility. Two is the advantage of the cause. It's emotional attachment. People buy on emotion for logical reasons. And so if we have credibility and then can articulate the emotional side of what they like or what they don't like, and the reason that's important is most people get confused about value. There's only two ways to provide value to people. Give them what, more of what they like or take away some or all of what they don't like. That's it. There's no other way to provide value to someone. So if you don't know what they like or don't like, you're not gonna be able to provide value at a maximum position. Three, we want to be able to articulate the reasons why they should make the investment. 
Notice I word, use the word articulate. I have so many people that are so deep into what they're doing, but haven't taken any time to practice articulating the reasons. They just have invisible assumptions that I'm trying to raise money for women. I, I actually am starting a fund that only men can give money to, but we only fund women. So, yes, we do. The fourth one is impact. Once again, articulating the value of the impact that you're going to have. And then the final advice is use your capabilities as an arsenal, not as a dumpster. I see the, one of the biggest problems with people pitching for everything is they think that their capabilities are dump truck. So all they're going to do is dump all the features and benefits, all, everything on you when I don't care. This is the one thing I care about. Therefore, oh, you only care about this? I have that capability to give you more of that or take away the things that are interfering with you achieving that. So if you have the credibility, emotional attachment, reasons, impacts, and capability, and practice articulating it, don't use invisible assumptions that just because it's your whole life, people know everything about it. It's the same thing with social silos of building a perfect brand. I always think it's funny with the friends of mine, they think that everybody knows them just because everybody in their social silo knows them. And then they come to Web Summit and they're like, ha, don't you know who I am? No, I don't know who the F you are because I have my own social silo and all I know about is cosmetics, <laughs> right? So I don't know who David Meltzer is. So make sure you talk to that social silo as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. I think we have a few more questions. We might take this lady down here. Thank you for the questions, by the way. Usually it's a zero to one sum game. <laughs> Nobody wants to ask questions. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Uh, I'm Valentine, 25. I quit my lawyer's job uh, to um, be in charge of an accelerator in a climate fund. It's new. <laughs> and so I want to ask a question. Um, how do you know you found the right partner to work with and what are you looking for? Beautiful. Well, first of all, I quit being a lawyer as well when I was 25. My mom told me the internet was a fad. Don't go into the internet. It's never going to last. You have a law degree. Be a real lawyer. So good move. Recovering lawyers do very well. Uh, partnership is a great question. Number one, the problem with partnership is we don't look and take inventory in the skills, the knowledge and desire of the partner. Make sure that the skills, knowledge, and desires of your partner are aligned with where you think you want to be or better or the business model itself. And just because someone has a close relationship to you, family member, childhood friend, there, there's an old saying, right? If you can't F your friends, who can you F? Your family. Uh, and so just make sure that your family and friends, if you're going to partner with them especially, have the skills, the knowledge, and desire. When I was young, I ran... As I said, Samsung's phone division, I was just turning 30 in 1999, and I hired a bunch of my friends thinking I was helping them by giving them elevated positions and elevated compensation, and all I ended up doing was losing my friends because they didn't have the skills, the knowledge, or the desire that was necessary to be the vice president of marketing, and I thought I was helping them up. Secondly, when you have partners, you need even more than skills, knowledge, and desire to align your values. Any business deal, if your values are not aligned, 
and you haven't articulated it and come to a mutual agreement of values, the business deal will die. It's just a matter of time. The truth vibrates the fastest. The truth of business is it's a value-based business, and eventually it's going to get down to are you a gracious person, a forgiving person, an accountable person, an inspired person, whatever those values are. And if there's incongruency in that, it's never going to last. The truth will vibrate the fastest. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Maybe in the front row here, yourself. We, we can't punish people to sit in the front, right? <laughs> Usually it's empty. Hi, Mr. Melder. My name is Kylie. Thank you for spending your valuable time here sharing your thoughts. So I have a question about your work ethics. Uh, you, you're running the playbook. You know, you're having TV shows. You run your sports marketing agency. How do you balance your time? You know, make sure you're not losing track of the time. Because I'm running my startup trying to prevent injuries. And at the side, I also have a talk show with Comedy Central. But I really felt like I'm so overwhelming. How do you make sure you're keeping track of your life in the time? Sure. Well, first of all, I study time. I practice time. I'm a student of time. I study my calendar. I have calendar captains. I have lenses to look at time. How productive am I with the activity I get paid for, the activity I don't get paid for? How accessible am I? Accessible to others and ability to access what I want and gratitude, believe it or not. I look to find the light, the love, and the lessons in everything and everyone and every event. Now, balance, they should take it out of the dictionary. I used to say there's weighted balance. There's not. There's just a harmonious participation in two things, perception and activity. And so I'm utilizing my time. Most people feel overwhelmed when they're pushing themselves or they procrastinate because they feel overwhelmed. These are the two biggest nemesis of entrepreneurs, feeling overwhelmed or procrastinating. I'll give you the antidote right now, prioritization. It is impossible to feel overwhelmed or to procrastinate if you prioritize your day in a trajectory of where you think you want to be or better by learning lessons from the past, giving meaning to the past in that trajectory. The same way I did about going bankrupt and losing $100 million, I have given it a meaning that is propelling and promoting me to a future that's greater than I ever imagined. And I allow those outcomes to come without judgments or conditions. And so when we know what's important to us today in a trajectory, we can prioritize and reprioritize uh, each day in that trajectory and not feel overwhelmed because we know what to do now and we know what to do next. It is impossible to procrastinate if you know what to do now and know what to do next. It's impossible to feel overwhelmed. One other real hack or trick is I wake up every day and look at the enormous amount of activity. Activity I have paid, unpaid, sleep, my non-negotiables, seven hours of sleep, three hours of family, fitness, finance, faith, studying time, and studying relativity. In that three hours, at least 14 hours to get whatever I want done. But I tell myself when I'm utilizing those lenses, I will not, because I'm abundant and blessed, get everything done today. I will not. I am at peace in the fact that I'm not going to get everything done today, but I'm going to prioritize all of my activities. I vacation every day. I spend time with my family, my fitness. I know you guys are laughing. You spend time on fitness? Yes. When you're 55, round is shape. It, 
Round is the shape, I promise. You'll get 55. Trust me. All right. So, thank you very much. We'll go to oh. the man beside you. You know, we've been friends, and you've been a very important mentor in my life for a very long time. And I heard you talk earlier about failures. And I, I'm really curious, one thing I've ever asked you is, how did you have the courage to openly talk about your failures that are an incredibly sensitive and difficult topic, especially in the light of your background with all the celebrities and entrepreneurs and business people you work with worldwide? Yeah, so number one, my biggest fear as a young entrepreneur, as a multimillionaire in my 20s, a 10-figure guy into my 30s, was to go bankrupt. A bigger fear than going bankrupt was admitting to people that I went bankrupt. A bigger fear than that was promoting <laughs> the fact that I went bankrupt. And what I learned was the truth vibrates the fastest. And I, people pay me a shitload of money to consult about making money. And what I think is funny is nobody, when I was worth over $100 million, nobody asked me to consult about making money. It wasn't until I lost all my money that people were curious about if I could help them make money. And more people hire me today because I've lost everything than because I'm just one of the other rich guys that pretend as if I don't fail. And they want to know about the lessons that I learned and how I dealt with the pain. That's what they wanna learn. They wanna learn that pain is an indicator that you have a lesson to learn and what lessons have I learned so they don't have to experience the pain. I call it dummy tax. And, and I live in California and people, Dave, move to Texas, move to Florida. There's no taxes. I was like, are you kidding me? I've already paid the most expensive tax in the world, the dummy tax. Let me just, 12% to me is a weather tax, right? I want to live in the sun. So understanding the more you illuminate the challenges, the struggles, the mistakes, failures, setbacks, the more people are going to want to learn how and what you learn instead of standing in front of shit you don't own, pretending like you're always successful, that there's no pain in your life. I get kicked in the face eight times a day. My biggest superpower is I spend minutes and moments in pain. The rest of the time, I'm on a trajectory where I want to be or better to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. But I still get kicked in the face. People lie to me. They cheat me. They manipulate me. I have four kids. I have that same pain. My kids, I always tell people, I don't know what people do with bad kids. My kids are super good, but they're a pain in my ass. Right? But I minimize the pain in my ass to a few minutes and moments, and I enjoy the trajectory I'm on. Brilliant. Okay. I think we might have a couple more. We had another uh, question here in the front row, I think. Just there. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, Lee. Um, um, I've been a follower of your podcast for about a year, and you um, often talk about how the importance of uh, doing what you like and in the same time pushing yourself and uh, doing more and managing more activities along the, uh, like during the day. So my question is uh, how important is it to always do what you're passionate about? Because in my age, I'm like 20, in my age a lot of people try to push themselves, try to grind, try to chase money sometimes. But I feel like sometimes it's the kind of wrong path to follow. 
So how important is it to only do what you like, or maybe is it not always? Yeah, great question. Yeah. Great question. And I, I, I will tell you, there's a differentiator in life. You should do, and time's the dependent variable of all matter in my life. Everything I equate to time because it's quantifiable. If, for example, I feel guilty too much, then all I need to do is understand how much time am I spending in the day feeling guilty, and tomorrow spend less time feeling guilty. Eventually, I can get rid of the guilt via time. Spend time every day with what you're passionate about. Spend time every day with what you're passionate about. Two minutes a day is worth two hours on a Saturday. That's the way the conscious continuum works. Energy, behavior, and money, it aggregates, compounds exponentially, and accelerates. Therefore, if we're consistent every day, we're going to get an aggregate exponential effect. So even with my children, I spend two minutes a day with my three daughters, minimum. I asked for five, they gave me two. But my relationship is incredible with my children. Way better than taking them to Disneyland on Saturday. Two minutes a day. Same with my mom. One minute a day minimum with my mom. I make sure she knows I'm happy, healthy, love and appreciate her every day. She doesn't waste my time to prove those things to her by having me drive an hour and a half to fix a screen door to prove to her I'm happy, healthy, love, and appreciate her. She knows it because I spend a minimum of a, of a minute a day. And so what I think people miss is, yes, do what you're passionate about every day for a minimum amount of time, but the bigger thing is to learn to love what you do. Learn to love what you do consistently every day. Learn to love what you do persistently without quit. Learn to love what you do and not, you'll never work a day in your life. If you learn to love what you do, it will tell you all its secrets. If you learn to love what you do, it'll tell you all its secrets. And it's those secrets that make life easy and takes away the diseasy. If you learn to love what you do, you get all the hat codes, the cheat codes, and you wonder, how do people do all of this? How do, how do they achieve all this? Because they're consistent in the persistence of learning to love what they do. Learn to love to take out the trash. Learn to love the business that brings you money so you can do more of what you're passionate about. That's the key. Now, I know we have time for one more question. I will be taking questions over in this corner afterwards too. So. Uh, doing a meetup. So anyone that has more questions, just come over there. Brilliant. Yeah, let's get those hands up. If anyone has one more question, um, this lady right here, whoever can get to her, just in the <laughs> second row. Probably the, an awkward one to get to. Uh, one thing, I'm Anna. I'm 23. I'm at the start of my career. And uh, I was wondering, in your like slogan, uh, one of the key components is to have fun. And that really struck out to me as, some, yeah, as good advice. And I was wondering, how do you relate having fun with being successful? Because if, well, because if you're not successful, it might be more difficult to have fun. And, yeah. yeah. So when I talk about time, the past is infinite. Right? Close your eyes. It takes a few seconds to go back 100 million years. The future is infinite. Close your eyes. It takes a few seconds to go 100 million years in the future. The limitation of your past is how much fun you make your past because it's your past that limits you by the meaning you give it. 
we limit ourselves in the past by the meaning that we give it. And if we can't utilize the perspective and participate in a perspective of learning, finding the light and the love, which makes your past fun, then you'll limit your future because you will never overachieve your own self-image. And your self-image is usually determined by the lessons of your past, the light, the love of the past, and the perspective of, wow, that was fun. If you have played sports, been in school, you will know that as we look backwards, the most fulfilling, fun things in our lives are not getting wasted at two in the morning that we can't remember. It's being pushed to our potential. It's the difficult times, the struggle, the pain, the setbacks, and the failures that now, with perspective, the meaning of those past experiences, wow, that was awesome. I'm so glad that that happened. So fun to me uh, is so important. And I will say within the mission of making a lot of money, helping a lot of people, and having a lot of fun, a lot of people will ask, why do you put making a lot of money first? Because you can't give what you don't receive. Money is not what buys the fun or the happiness. Money allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things for the right reasons, you'll have fun, you'll be happy. And if you're happy, that'll make me happy. Hopefully you'll come over and see me over here. If not, reach out at David Meltzer. Email me, david at dmeltzer.com. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, David. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for the philanthropist himself. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Guys, stick around. We have Meredith Whitaker up next. I'll see you again soon.